Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Last week we started a new series called Faith for Today. We talked about the father of our faith, Abraham. And today we'll be looking at passing on a heritage of faith. This is really good. This is important to us at Heritage because from day one, that's what we were really focused on, was how do we pass on a heritage, a legacy to the next generation? The scripture passages we chose for signs and banners and things like that were all about leaving that legacy of faith, passing down that heritage to the next generation, whether it be our own children or the people that you have influence over uh, throughout your daily life, whether it be at your neighborhood or your place of work, there's someone that God's wanting us to pass down our faith to. And uh, so this is a really big focus for us here at Heritage. So let me ask you a question to get started. What one word... One adjective would you use to describe your father? Cool? All right. Who else? Great? Yeah. Good, great. Keep working on it. Faithful, that's a good one. Sacrificial, yeah. Generous. Generous. All knowing. Leader. Leader. You got another one? Funny. Okay, last chance. (laughs) Who else? Loving. Loving. Okay, what about one word to describe your mother? Giving, amazing. A little bit different describing moms and dads, right? (laughs) Wow. All right, so one more. If you have children, what's one word that you hope your children would use to describe you? Compassionate. Loving. Very wise. Very wise, okay. Consistent, consistent. Supportive. Forgiving. Forgiving. Really good. It's kind of hard to boil down a whole life into one adjective, isn't it? But if we kind of go through that little uh, just practice right there, it helps us to kind of get a clearer picture of what was really important to that person, Right? What drove his or her life? And when it comes to the Old Testament saints that we're studying about in Hebrews chapter 11, the one word that would describe them is faithful. The word faithful. This word faithful has a double meaning. It means full of faith. Like in Acts chapter 6 when it's describing Stephen and it says that he was chosen because he was full of faith. Remember Stephen, he was the first Christian martyr. He was stoned to death while he was sharing the good news with a big group of people. But the word faithful also means steadfast. Steadfast. Dedicated, dependable, worthy of trust. God, of course, is the epitome of faithfulness. Amen? He is faithful even when we are unfaithful. But God does have an expectation that we would be faithful too. 
The reason I said those songs today were perfect choices because it made a big deal out of grace and what God has done for us, which is ultimately uh, important for us as a believer, amen? Because we know that there's no way that we can earn our salvation through good works or effort. However, as we're gonna learn today that the word being faith, the word faith, being faithful, it has this idea that we would be faithful to him and, and obey his commands, amen? So God does not expect us to be full of faith and then ignore him. God expects us to be full of faith in him and fully faithful to him. It's through faith and steadfastness that we inherit the promises of God. Just a few chapters before Hebrews 11, in Hebrews 6, verse 12, it says, But be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. How do you inherit the promises? Through what? Faith and patience. So that double-edged kind of faith, being full of faith and also faithful to God, that kind of faith is the only kind of faith that we can pass down onto the next generation. People who claim to have faith but don't live faithful lives can never influence someone for God. Do you believe that? You can't just go around and say, I'm a Christian, I got faith, and then not live like that. There is supposed to be a difference in us when the Holy Spirit comes to live in us that we can shine to the world. These are all just normal biblical terms, right? As you read the Bible, we're supposed to be a light. We're supposed to shine, salt, right? All these things. The way we do that is by being faithful people and living faithful lives. So in this 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, the writer is helping us to see, first of all, these great men and women of the past, they had faith. They trusted God. We learned that last week. And he counted their faith as what? As righteousness. Because they believed him, he accepted them. But secondly, the writer of Hebrews wants us to know that they lived faithful lives. They didn't just say they believed, they proved their faith by living faithful lives. And as a result, they were able to pass on to their children and grandchildren and others in their families their faith. So today, our passage is only three verses. It's in Hebrews chapter 11, and we're on to verse 20 now. So look with me, verses 20 through 22 of chapter 11. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, his grandsons, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. They lived by faith, they died by faith, and they passed on their faith as a heritage, their legacy to the next generation. Do you remember our definition of faith last week? Let's go ahead and, and try to remember that so that we know our starting point. Faith is what? Trusting God completely, no matter what. That's right. It's very important that we get that whole definition in there. Faith is trusting God completely, no matter what. Let's say it together. Faith is trusting God completely, no matter what. It's that no matter what part that makes faith faith. Okay? So we can't stop short of that. It's easy to claim faith when everything is working out to our own satisfaction. Amen? 
It's easy to have faith when our prayers are being answered like we expect them to be or when the blessings that we anticipated are coming to us, when we see the fruit of our labors, when the promises of God that we have claimed have come true before our very eyes. But faith isn't faith, I would say, until you've struggled with unbelief, until you've struggled with an unanswered prayer. Anyone ever been there? Faith isn't faith until it has lived in pain and suffering instead of blessing and joy. Faith isn't faith until it has experienced disappointment. Faith isn't faith until it has claimed a promise that never seems to be fulfilled. Faith is not only trusting God. Faith is not only trusting God completely. Faith is trusting God completely no matter what. Are you with me? That was the kind of faith that the Old Testament saints exhibited. And the 11th chapter of this book of Hebrews wants to make sure that we get the point. These people didn't have faith because every time they told a mountain to move, it jumped into the sea. They didn't have faith because every time they prayed for a sick loved one that the illness went away. They didn't have faith because every time they prayed uh, that God answered their prayers and kept all of his promises. No, they had faith because they knew God is faithful. They knew God. They knew God. Their faith was in God, and they knew who he was, that he was faithful. That's why they had faith in him. And even when things did not turn out as they expected, even when it seemed to everyone else that God's promises had come up empty, they continued to trust God completely no matter what. Why? Why? Because if you've ever been in a place where things seem to turn against you, and not go right, and prayers were not answered? Have you ever doubted? It's okay to nod your head yes. See, young people, they are afraid to nod their head yes, and guys who have been through it, you all are like, yeah, I remember that. Because that's kind of part of our struggle, right? See, they knew that God is God, and that means God is faithful. God will do what he said he would do, even if we never see it in our lifetime because God has all of eternity to keep his promises. Now, you might not want to hear that because, you know, if if Braxton promises me that he'll clean his room, I don't want to hear that, but I have all eternity to clean my room, Dad. I promise it'll it'll get cleaned eventually. I want him to fulfill his promise, right? And in the same way, if, if we believe that God is promising these great things to us, we'd like to see them happen. But he doesn't always work on our timelines. See, there was, like we talked about last week, there was a future hope. A future hope. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, they had a future hope. Look back at verse 13 from last week. Right there, same chapter. The writer is telling us that all these people of faith, all of them had something in common. And the thing that they had in common was that none of them ever saw these promises come true. Look at verse 13. It says, these all died in faith not having received the things promised. What is up with that? But having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. A homeland. If they had been thinking of that land which they had gone out, if they were just homesick, they would have had opportunity to return, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. 
Here's the point. All these great men and women here that we're talking about, they, they're, these great men and women of faith, they trusted God completely no matter what. They trusted God even though they never saw his promises fulfilled. That's faith. They died waiting for God to fulfill these promises, waiting for him to do what he said he would do. But on their deathbeds, they didn't cry out, it's a fraud, right? I've been deceived. God is not faithful. He lied. He didn't do what he said he would do. No, they died peacefully and quietly, confidently, continuing to trust God no matter what, even when they died. How could they do that? The Bible says they were able to do that because they were not just focused on what is happening here on earth. They kept looking for a better home, a heavenly home, a future hope. They, they knew that there was more than just this life. We sometimes so, so, so much forget that. We're so focused on just this life and today and this week and what can I have and what can I get out of this life. We are totally uh, forgetting that he wants us to live as strangers and exiles in this land. Just passing through, looking forward to a heavenly home, this future hope. They knew that God had all eternity to fulfill his promises, and they knew that the earthly promises were nothing compared to his eternal promises. Amen? Let's take Abraham as a case in point. We talked about him last week. God had promised to give Abraham the land of Canaan, the promised land, but Abraham died without receiving the land. Did you know when Abraham died, the only land of that land that he owned was a burial plot that he had bought when his wife Sarah died? God had promised it all to him. He said, lift up your eyes. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your descendants. And when Abraham died, all he owned was a grave. He was buried there along with Sarah. And that was all the land they actually received during their lifetimes. Just enough to be buried in. But see, what Hebrews 13 is saying is that Abraham knew he was an alien and a stranger on earth. The King James Version says a pilgrim. Abraham knew he was just passing through. God had promised Abraham the land of Canaan, and Abraham was grateful for that promise from God. But God had also promised Abraham that someday he would enter into even a better place, a heavenly place, an eternal place where he would be with God forever. And the promised land was nothing more than a side stop on the way to his final destination, that heavenly city that God had prepared for him. Abraham was not focused on the promised land. Abraham was not focused on the promise. Abraham was focused on the promiser. Amen? The one who had made the promise to him. It was great that God had promised him the land. It was great that God had promised to make him a great nation and make his name great and that he would have a son and so many descendants that he couldn't even count them. But all those promises were nothing compared to knowing the promiser himself. Do you love God or you just love God's stuff? I'm serious. That's a question. Do you love God or do you just love God's stuff? Abraham knew God. He was less concerned about the stuff. Nothing happened or didn't happen during Abraham's life that would ever shake his faith in the promiser. Abraham trusted God completely no matter what. And that's how, at the end of his life, he's able to look at Isaac in the eye and say, you are the child of promise. You are the child God gave me in my old age. You are the one who gets to inherit all these promises that God gave me. 
He told me he would give me and my descendants this land, that he would make us into a great nation, that we would be more numerous than the stars in the sky or the sands on the seashore. And he said that he would bless us so that we could be a blessing to others and that all the nations of the earth would be blessed, would be blessed through our family. That's what he told Isaac. None of it had happened yet. None of it. It would, to, to a lot of us, he seems like this crazy old man just talking before he dies because you got to be saying, but dad, we, you don't have any of these things to give me. But he was giving him the promise. He was giving him his faith. He was passing down his faith, his heritage of faith. That was his legacy. Look at verse 20, chapter 11. So after Abraham had, had passed this faith down to Isaac, now we see Isaac. Isn't it funny? We read so many passages last week about Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph in the Hebrews chapter 11. They get one verse each, and it's only about their blessing or their passing down of their faith to their next generations. Isn't that interesting? Look at verse 20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on his sons Jacob and Esau. Abraham had passed it on to Isaac. Now Isaac is at the end of his life, and he's ready to pass the blessing on to his two sons, Jacob and Esau. Now, if you go back and read that story, you know that Esau was the first, the firstborn, and Jacob was the secondborn, and they, they were way different, and they would argue and fight, and, and the mom got involved. And it's a really great story. You should go back and read it. But we know this, that God chose Jacob to be the one that the blessing would go through his line, his family, okay? So the blessing that Isaac had for those two sons was the faith that he passed on to them. That was his blessing. He blessed them, the Bible says, in regard to their future. Isaac told them about the promises God had made and how they fit into God's plan. That's a really great thing to tell your children. This is, this is who God is. This is what he's done. This is the promises he's made. And this is how you, my child, fit in to God's plan. What a blessing. So look at verse 21. Jacob now, by faith, when dying, now he's at the end of his life, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. Joseph was Jacob's son, so these are his grandsons, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. God's promises to Abraham had been passed down to Isaac and then, then to Jacob, Jacob became known as, anyone know? God changed his name from Jacob to Israel, okay? He was the ancestor of all the Israelites, all the Jewish people. Jacob or Israel had 12 sons, and one of them, Joseph, was hated by his brothers. Do you remember that story? He was sold to slave traders who took him to Egypt, and in Egypt, Joseph suffered through slavery and imprisonment, but he continued to be faithful, full of faith in God and fully faithful to God. God blessed Joseph and he rose to power second only to Pharaoh. And eventually Joseph moved his entire family to Egypt where they prospered. And it was there in Egypt when his father Jacob was dying and he blesses his grandchildren, Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, okay? And he told them about the promiser and how they fit into God's promises, we see all of this laid out in Genesis 48. If you want to write that down on your notes, Genesis 48. Jacob blesses his grandsons and his son Joseph. Jacob's blessing expressed the assurance of things hoped for. Future hope, again, that's a major theme for this. Future hope, future hope. And he knew that the God who had guided him would not fail them. He could say these things to his son and his grandsons because he trusted in God so much that he knew 
God would not fail them even after he was gone. Then, years later, as Joseph was about to die, he too had the opportunity to leave a legacy of faith. Look at verse 22. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Joseph believed what his father had told him about what his father had told him about what his father had told him. Joseph believed that someday the Israelites would leave Egypt and go back to the promised land. And when that happens, Joseph told his brothers, be sure you take my bones back there and bury them in Canaan. It's an interesting request, but he was sure that God would have his people in the promised land like he had promised. And isn't it neat? He had said this years before this ever happened, because look what it says in Exodus 13, 19. Okay, remember the story of Moses? So Moses grew up, you know, in Egypt, and then he left all of that, and then he goes back to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And look what it says, Exodus 13, 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. They carried Joseph's bones throughout 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Did you know that? Isn't that crazy? Until Joshua finally led them into the land, and they buried Joseph's bones in that very grave where Abraham and Sarah had been buried. John Calvin says, Joseph's request that they would take his bones with them, was not of selfish interest. He says, it was intended as a stimulus to the Israelites. He wanted to sharpen the desire of his people so that they would look more earnestly for their redemption and that they might hope with certainty that they would at length be liberated. One of the things I want you to know today is that true faith will determine how you live. True faith will determine how you live. These men that we're reading about today, they didn't just say they were faithful once, live the rest of their life ignoring God, and then get ready to die and tell their sons, oh, by the way, you should probably have faith in God. No. They had faith in God. They believed what had been passed down to them. They lived a faithful life. And at the end, that's why it worked for them to pass down to their sons. Does that make sense? Would it have worked if their sons had watched them ignore God all their life, if they tried to tell, if they tried to tell their sons to believe in God? That wouldn't work, would it? No. Obedience is important. A few chapters back, look at Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. Look what this says. And being made perfect, this, this passage here is talking about Jesus Becoming the great high priest, he says, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to who? To who? All who obey him. In old time, those who had heard the good news but disobeyed, they failed to enter the blessing. You hear that? And those who heard the good news but failed to obey, but disobeyed, failed to enter the the blessing, one chapter before that, Hebrews 4, 6, it says this. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, that is, God's rest, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Old and New Testaments agree that the faith 
of the people of God manifests itself in their obedience to God's commands. It shows itself in their obedience to God's commands. Under the Old Covenant, Old Testament, faith manifested itself in the obedience of Israel to the law, the law of Moses, Ten Commandments, all the commandments in Leviticus, all those laws. If they obeyed, that was what way they would show their faith. Under the New Covenant, faith manifests itself in the obedience of Christians to the revealed will of God or the law of Christ. This obedience fulfills the law of Moses. Remember, Jesus did, he said, I didn't come to abolish the old law. I came to what? Fulfill it. Look at Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law, the law of Moses. For the commandments, you shall not commit murder, adultery, you shall not commit murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. If you love your neighbor, will you commit adultery? If you love your neighbor, will you murder? If you love your neighbor, will you steal from them? So he's saying that the law of Christ, or love God and then love everyone else, fulfills all the law of Moses. Does that make sense? doesn't abolish it. It fulfills it. This obedience fulfills it, which makes sense because the law of Christ is the fulfillment of the law of Moses. Thus, the marks of a true believer are both faith and obedience to God's commands. The, the last passage I want you to turn to today is in James chapter 2. James is the book right after Hebrews. So if you kept your finger in Hebrews, you don't have to turn very far. James chapter 2, verse 18 through 26. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith, faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by his works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So no works equals a dead faith. No works equals a dead faith. One way we can say it is there is no obedience without faith, and there is no faith without obedience. We learned last week that faith isn't something that we just hope for. Remember that? We talked about Faith isn't something we just have to work up inside of us. Faith, if we're struggling in our faith, we ask God to help us and to help us give us faith. Faith, just like grace, is a gift from God. 
So without faith, I can't obey because I can't obey all the laws, can I? I'm selfish, I'm sinful, I'm prideful, I I have all kinds of desires in my flesh. Without faith, I can't be obedient. But if I'm not obeying, I don't truly have faith. So it's a both and kind of thing. If we're not living faithful lives, if we're just saying we have faith, there's no way we'll be able to pass this this kind of faith down to the next generation, to our children, our grandchildren, our other family members. You cannot pass down what you do not have. I can't pass down $10 million to my kids just because I want to if I don't have $10 million. Right, Bill? Okay. He's my accountant, so I want to make sure that that's... I mean, if there's a way, that would be great. You also cannot pass down a heritage of faith if you are not a faithful person. You're dreaming. You can say it all you want until you're red in the face, but if they don't see you living a faithful life, it won't work. Faith, true faith, will determine how you live. Now, I might step on some toes here, but I want to say a couple of things. Do you have faith in God? Stop comparing yourself to everyone else and trust that God will make you who he wants you to be. Do you have faith in God? Do you claim that? Stop looking at pornography on the internet and trust that God can satisfy every desire of your heart. Do you have faith in God? Stop blasting people and businesses who treat you wrong on Facebook. Stop clinging to your rights for fairness and and justice and trust that God will set things right in his timing, that he is just and that he will be righteous, not you. Do you have faith in God? Stop holding so tightly to the things that you have and become a generous person and trust that God will meet all of your needs. Do you have faith in God? Then show it. That's what I'm trying to say. Don't go around telling people you're a Christian and then not live that out. Don't go around saying you have faith or you're a faithful person up to a certain point because we've learned that faith is trusting God completely no matter what. Amen? So as we finish up today, I want to give you some some things. In order to leave a legacy of faith, three things have to be true in your life. If you want to leave a legacy of faith for your children, your grandchildren, your brothers, your sisters, your family and friends, then these three things must be true in your life, okay? You ready? Number one, I don't think these are on your notes, are they? So on the back, they're completely blank. You can just start writing. Number one, you must have faith. You must believe that God exists, And that he rewards those who seek him. You must believe God sent his one and only unique son to be the savior of the world. You have to believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God who died on the cross for our sins. You have to believe that Jesus rose from the dead to give eternal life to all who believe in him. You have to believe that that he is alive today and that he is returning again. You have to believe that Jesus prepared a place for you, a future hope, a future home. In heaven, where you will be with Jesus for all of eternity, you must believe that heaven is the ultimate promise that God has given to you and that the promise of heaven trumps everything that may seem to go wrong in this life. To leave a legacy of faith, you must have faith. Number two, you must live by faith. To live by faith means more than just believing the doctrines that I just spoke about. 
It means more than just believing who Jesus is and what he has done. We know that we read in James that even the demons believe who he is. And if you've been reading through the New Testament with this, I hope you are. Don't give up on that. How many times have we been reading about when Jesus became interactive with a person who was, uh, had a demon in them? What did that demon say? Jesus, son of God, holy one of God, anointed one. He knew exactly who he was. Did that demon have faith and trust in Jesus? No, but he knew who he was. So it's different than just knowing uh, the doctrines about these things. To live by faith means to trust God. Jesus completely, no matter what. It means to depend on him for your every need. It means to rejoice in him when good things happen and to cling to him when bad things happen. You must not only have faith in the sense of believing a bunch of things, but you must show that your faith is real. You must live by faith. And finally, you must share your faith. If you have faith and you live by faith, but you never tell anyone, then you cannot pass on your faith to others. Amen? Some of you were hoping that we didn't have to do that. I could just be good and believe some good things and, and kind of stick to myself. But that's not true. We have to share our faith with others. The only way that others will know you have faith and are living by faith is if you tell them. Tell them with your words. Tell them with your actions. Read your Bible and let them see you read it. One of the reasons I love to get up really early and spend time in the Word is because I have this secret hope that Braxton or Ainsley will wake up early and they'll see me on my knees with my face in the chair or with my face in the Bible because I want them to see it. I don't want them to just hear me say, you know, you really should read the Bible. Have you ever tried to tell your kid to do something that you didn't do? You think they're going to buy that? Not a chance. But if I tell him you should really read the Bible and when I'm struggling, he sees me studying God's word, then he'll remember that when he grows up. Amen? Pray. Let them see you pray. Tell them something that God has revealed to you through his word. Talk about this kind of stuff with people. Tell them what God's calling you to do and how you're thinking about responding. Go to Bible study and worship and take people with you. Don't keep your faith a secret. Let your children, your grandchildren, your family, your friends, your neighbors, let them know that Jesus is real to you, that he is the Lord of your life. If you want to leave a legacy of faith, you must have faith and you must live by faith and you must Share your faith. Just like Abraham, when you die, the only piece of land that you're going to possess is your grave. Enough land to be buried in. And and what's going to matter at that point is not the wealth and possessions you accumulated to pass on to to your heirs, but the only inheritance that will have any significance at all for eternity will be the legacy of faith that you leave behind. You can't leave someone else something that you don't have yourself. That's what I want you to take today. Have faith. Live by faith. Share your faith. Be a people of faith. Come together as a church family and be a church family of faith. Let those outside of these walls speak of the people inside these walls as people who are faithful people. People who talk about Jesus and and trust in him when things go wrong. I love telling people the story about moving from Wildwood to Fruitland Park. That's a story of faith. I want Every time I tell it, people look at me like I'm lying or that I'm leaving something out. I love telling that story. I love the part that says that it was debt-free. I love that. That's telling the story. 
of, of a group of people that were trying their best to live faithful lives and God fulfilled promises, even promises while we were still living, amen? We didn't even have to wait for our next generations to see this fulfilled. Do you have faith? Then live that faith and share it. Pass down a legacy of faith to the next generation. That's what it means to be a part of the family of of Heritage Community Church. We wanted to be a family that would pass down our faith to that next generation. We wanted to be a family where we believed in God absolutely, completely, 100%, no matter what. Amen? The next two weeks, we're going to continue on in this chapter. We're going to pick up right where we left off next week. Study these verses. Be, be ready because I know God is going to do something incredible in our lives to help us be faithful people, men and women who trust him no matter what. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for people that came before us that were faithful people, faithful to you, full of faith that they got from you and that they were able to live their lives like that and share it and pass it down. It's because of these people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph that they passed things down to their sons that we have it today. It's been passed down to us. Help us not forget that. Help us to see the significance and the importance that we would take our faith and pass it down to someone else. Our children, our grandchildren, our family, our friends, our brothers and sisters. That we would not keep it to ourselves, but that we would live it out in the open. And that we would share it with others. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of building your kingdom. Help us to never forget that it is yours and not our own. And that we are just passing through this life, looking forward with a future hope to a heavenly home, Jesus. Thank you for your promises. And thank you most of all for the opportunity to know you, the promise maker. We love you. We ask for forgiveness for our sin. Continue to mold us and change us and make us holy and godly like you are. Sanctify us, clean us as we go through this life so that we can grow more and more like you with a stronger and stronger faith in you, trusting you for all of our desires in this earth, all of our needs. You are the only one who satisfies Jesus. And the quicker we learn that, what a life we can have in you. You alone are holy. Thank you, God, for all that you have done and all that you will do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.